0: On Sunday nights, we're studying the book of John, and we encourage you to take your Bible and turn to the book of John, chapter 16, as we continue our series. And by the way, Joe, you got me on the the joke. I thought maybe you just got free tickets. And you get free tickets, you know, we'll change quick, you know, so I thought thought that's what it was. Book of John, chapter 16. Tonight, we're going to be looking at the entire chapter. We're just going to read a few verses at the beginning, and then we're going to look at the entire chapter. And this is a very strange chapter because at one level, it looks like he's talking about different things. It looks like different topics, but the topics are connected. And so that's what I want to do tonight, try to connect these topics as he is talking to the disciples. Remember, Jesus is about to go to the cross, and so he is preparing the disciples for what's going to take place. And they don't understand anything yet. And so all these different topics look like they're different, and yet They are to be together. So let's look at a few words here. Book of John chapter 16, verse 1. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcast from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when the hour come, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. And Look at verse 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Pray with me. Father, tonight as we open your word, Father, as we study this passage, Father, help us to see it in context. Help us to understand it, Father, as Jesus is talking to the disciples. But, Father, let us also hear it as your disciples. That, Father, we'll know what we're going to face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's going to the cross. They don't understand that yet. I said this a few weeks ago. Please understand, they are clueless what Jesus is saying. They do not understand that in a few hours, he is going to be arrested. He is going to be tried. He is going to be tortured. He is going to be killed on a cross. He is going to be buried on the third day he is going to come out of the tomb. They don't understand that. They do not understand that their world is about to be turned upside down. They do not understand that. They do not understand that shortly they're going to be hunted, persecuted, tried, tortured and put to death they haven't figured this out yet they do not understand that Jesus is about to leave them but by leaving them he is going to send to them the Holy Spirit they don't understand this so everything we're going to be looking at tonight we understand because we know the rest of the story we understand because we've read the rest of the the, this gospel but they do not really understand what Jesus is going to say So Jesus is trying to prepare them. He is trying to prepare them for what is coming. And part of that, part of what is coming is suffering. That's what he's talking about in verses 1 and following. He says, I'm saying this so you won't stumble, but they're going to arrest you. They're going to throw you out of the synagogues. They're going to kill you. He's describing the suffering that is going to take place. We don't hear that enough. You see, many, many popular preachers, they like to talk about Christianity, how Christianity can help you be successful and happy. And, but they neglect this doctrine that is throughout the word. And that is, if you are a believer, you're going to go through t- days of suffering. You're going to th- go through days of tribulation. It's all through the New Testament. For example, in the book of Acts chapter 14, it says, though through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul, writing to Timothy, his protege in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus even told them. He said, if you're going to follow me, you must take up your cross. That was an uh, implement of slow, torturous death. He said, you must take up the cross to follow me. <laughs> so we see this principle that we are going to suffer at times, especially if you're a follower of Christ. So we got to be very careful that we do not de-emphasize suffering. Because if we do, we, can, we get tempted. If we start saying, we don't, we, don't, we don't like that doctrine, we don't want to talk about that doctrine, we're going to talk about the other doctrine, what happens is, after a while, people will start hearing the gospel is only for financial prosperity or physical health. And then you start saying, well, if something bad happens to you, it's because you don't have enough faith. In reality, those people really haven't read the book of Acts or John chapter 16. Because Jesus is saying, I am preparing you for what's coming. And so tonight we're going to look at this entire chapter. What he's going to do, he's going to give them a variety of information. But basically what he's going to tell them, he's telling them what a disciple will face and what the disciple needs. He begins by telling them disciples will face dark days look at verse one these things i have spoken to you that you may keep be kept from stumbling they will make you outcasts from the synagogues but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think they that, that he is offering service to god these things they will do because they have not known the father or me but these things i have spoken to you so that when the hour comes you may remember that i told you them and these things i did not say to you at the beginning because i was with you Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, guys, you're going to face some dark days. He said, let me tell you why I'm telling you this. Verse 1, that it may keep you from stumbling. That, that word stumble there literally means to fall into a trap. Jesus is saying, I am telling you this because if you're not careful, you're going to fall into a trap that Satan's going to place. That you start believing that, that you are not supposed to go through suffering. You're not supposed to go through trials and tribulations. And that is a trap. That Greek word means to be caught in a trap. And usually it's a word to describe being caught by surprise. So Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be caught by surprise. You're going to go through dark days. How? Well, he gives two, two examples. First of all, he said, you're going to be persecuted. and First way, by being excommunicated. He said, they're going to throw you out of the temple. They're going to throw you out. You know, the apostle Paul thought he was being faithful to his Jewish faith by putting Christians in prison and killing Christians. Then when he became a Christian, the Jews persecuted him, the early Christians. By the way, centuries later, the Roman Catholic Church uh, did the Inquisition and attacked anyone who was preaching the true gospel. It's amazing to me. If you go through history, religion has always been a major uh, perpetrator of persecution. And Jesus is saying, if you follow me, the religious crowd may come after you. If you follow me, the religious crowd will come after you. Why? Because they do not know the Father, and they don't know me. You see, the key, to perse- the key to enduring persecution is to know Jesus. He said, the religious community will attack you. But not only that, he says, you'll face death. Not only are they going to kick you out, they're going to kill you. He said, because of me, some will be martyred. Now, I want you to be reminded that Jesus is talking to the apostles What they do not understand that every one of them, except one, is going to be put to death. John is the only one that will not be put to death, and he was put in exile. All the others are going to live live and die a martyr's death. And Jesus is saying, this is going to happen, guys. By the way, this hasn't stopped. There are still people dying for the faith in the 20th century. More Christians were killed because of their faith in Jesus than all the centuries of persecution combined. 65% of all Christians who've ever been persecuted or martyred lived during 1900 and 2000. One Italian journalist who did a study about this, he discovered about 45 million Christians were killed in the 20th century. Now, we're in the 21st century, and we are still being persecuted. Jesus is telling the disciples, dark days are coming. And I don't want you to fall into a trap. Second of all, he says, because of the dark days, disciples will need supernatural help. Disciples will need supernatural help. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I've said these things to you, your sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you The truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. for right, If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to tell you, say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, and he will take of mine, and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. <clears throat> now, this is the second time Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit. He's already told them that he's going to leave. He's going to bring the comforter to them. They do not understand what he's saying. But he's talking about the Holy Spirit again. And so he begins in verse 5. something kind of interesting. He said, none of you ask, where are you going? You said, wait, 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 time out, time out. Already two guys have asked that question. I mean, John chapter 14, uh, John chapter 13, Peter said, Lord, where are you going? And then John chapter 14, Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. So why is Jesus saying, none of you ask where I'm going? Here's what he's saying. None of you really want to know where I'm going. They asked the question, but they really didn't care about the answer. What they were saying is, we don't want you to go. I love what one scholar said, D.A. Carson. He said, it's kind of like a little boy who's disappointed that his father's going to a meeting. And the father said, dad, where are you going? The son doesn't care where the dad is going. He just knows he's going. He said, no, you explain to the son, he wouldn't care if you explained it to him. In the same way, the disciples were asking the question, but they really didn't care where Jesus was going. They didn't want him to go. And so Jesus is saying, no, you really don't care where I'm going. You're concerned that I'm going. You really don't care. But you need to understand, I must go in order to send to you the Holy Spirit. He's already told them he's going to send them the comforter. He's already said it's going to be a great blessing. Look back at verse 7. He said, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, they didn't believe that. They've been with Jesus three years. They love Jesus. They love being with him. He's, look, it's to your advantage that I go away. Why? For if I do not go away, the helper, the, the comforter, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is saying, the greatest blessing you're going to receive is after I leave, I will send to you the Holy Spirit. Why? He says, verse 8, and he, talking about the Holy Spirit, When he comes, we convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Guys, you're going to face dark days, and you need supernatural help. You can't do this on your own. But the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, he's going to help you. How? How? Well, first of all, he will convict us of the reality of sin. He will convict us of the reality of sin. That's what he says in verse 8. He said, he will convict the world concerning sin. That word convict has the implication of a legal term. It means to be found guilty. It's when the judge pronounces you are guilty. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is God's public prosecutor. He will convict the human race. He is going to convict us. And by the way, there's a warning here. The Holy Spirit has never lost a case. Even Perry Mason lost a case, if you know Perry Mason trivia. But the Holy Spirit will never lose a case. Why? The evidence will always be airtight. His witnesses are impeccable because he knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. And he says the Holy Spirit will come and convict what? What? sin did you notice that he doesn't say sins plural he says singular now why does he say it that way the holy spirit is going to diagnose our problem the root cause of our problem you see there are two different words two words here sins is what we do sin is who we are we have a root problem we are born sinners that is sin and because of sin we commit sins Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to come and convict not just the sins. He's going to convict the sin. The Holy Spirit is one who's going to come to convict us that we have a heart problem. That we have a problem within us. By the way, you you can't do this. I cannot do this. I cannot convict anyone of their sin. That's impossible. But it's the Holy Spirit that will do it. Uh, evangelist Dwight Moody once said, if a man is troubled about his sin, it must be the work of the Holy Spirit, for Satan has never told anyone he's a sinner. He, Satan doesn't want want us to know we're sinners, but the Holy Spirit wants us to know. Because he understands if we are convicted of the holy, if we are convicted by the Holy Spirit of our sin, guess what we're going to do? We're going to run to Jesus. See the difference? By the way, if Satan does attack you with sin, he wants you to feel guilty so you will run away from Jesus. That's how you know the difference. If you're convicted and you run to Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit. If you're convicted or you or feel guilty and you run away, that's not the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the Holy Spirit it will convict us of our sin. And here's why. Because we will come to the cross. You see... There is not one person on this planet that cannot be saved. There's not one sin you've ever committed that God cannot forgive. And the Holy Spirit will convict. By the way, when you're preaching or teaching, that's a powerful instrument. The Holy Spirit does the work. But secondly, he said the Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness in verse 8. Righteousness. Jesus goes on to say that the, the, the Holy Spirit is going to convict us of righteousness. Now you've got to understand something. If the world does not understand sin apart from the Holy Spirit, the world is not going to understand righteousness apart from the Holy Spirit. Make sense? This means yes. Okay, got it. Means no. Maybe I don't know what you're talking about. If the world doesn't understand sin. Apart from the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the world will never understand righteousness. The Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness. You see, what the world does, the world changes the definition of sin to make it righteous. You ever notice that? As I get older, I see it more and more. Instead of saying something's wrong, the world just changes the name of it. And now everybody will accept it. But the Holy Spirit will convict us of righteousness. Righteousness. The world wants to tell us what is right, and the world wants to tell us what is wrong by the world's definition. But the Holy Spirit is going to be the one to convict us of sin and righteousness. During World War II, the Battle of the Bulge, the the Germans had an idea. The Americans were coming in, and so the Germans got American uniforms, got some American Jeeps, and they went around the countryside and went to to roads and crossroads. And they changed the signs. They just went across, around the country just changing the signs of roads. So that when the Americans were coming and they come to a crossroad and they look on their map, they would go the wrong direction. Or they ask for a direction. They say, oh, you take such and such road. And they come to a road and it's a different road. And the idea was if we can confuse them by changing the signs, we would win the battle. One of the strategies of Satan is to keep changing the signs. He keeps changing what is right and what is wrong in the world. He changes the definition. And if we're not careful, we'll listen to those changes and we'll miss it. What we need is the Holy Spirit to guide us in righteousness so that we will know what is right and wrong in the world. And so that's what he is saying here. He said he will convict us of righteousness. Now, look, look at down in verse 10. He said, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Jesus said, I want you to understand it. As I, I'm, I'm telling you this. I'm going to go to the Father, and the Father's going to send you the Holy Spirit. I've paved the way. The Holy Spirit is still going to guide you. So he's going to convict us of sin. He's going to convict us of righteousness. But also in verse 8, he said, the Holy Spirit will convict us of judgment. In verse 8. In verse 11, he goes on. He says, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is going to come and convict people. Judgment is coming. How do we know that's true? Because Jesus said he's going to begin with Satan. That's how he's going to begin. Why? Because Satan is the father of sin. Therefore, he's the father of all sinners. Again, verse, in verse 11, because the ruler of this world, talking about Satan, the devil, has been judged. He says, so, Jesus is going to said the Holy Spirit is going to start there. He's going to judge the father of lies. He's going to judge the father of sin. And therefore, the children of sin will be judged. You see, the Bible is pretty clear. And I know the world hates this. The Bible puts the world in two classes. You're the, you know, the child of the king or you're the child of the devil. That's it. There is no other boundary, there, there are no categories. I know the world hates that. But Jesus said if Satan, the king of sin, cannot escape judgment, neither will his subjects. And the Holy Spirit's going to convict you of this truth. John Pascookie was a. U.S. Marshal. He was very famous. He was, I think, the most decorated U.S. Marshal in history. He was known as the Manhunter. He always found his man. He had an uncanny ability to track down criminals. He he wrote a book talking about his technique. And in the book, he talks about lie detectors. And he makes this interesting comment about lie detectors. He said, my problem with lie detectors is they're too easily to manipulate. And then he gives ways to, to cheat the lie detector. I'm not telling you what they are tonight, okay? Just, just saying. Now, I kind of agree with that because I've told this story years ago. When I was in New Orleans, I was a security guard. I know that surprises everybody. This is the face of a, you know, a crime fighter. But, uh, but I had to go through a polygraph test. I failed it. I failed a polygraph test. You say, how do you fail a polygraph test? But if you ever take a polygraph test, they, they give you two tests. So you compare the answers, so compare the response. You see, a lie detector, all it does is check your system, check your heart, blood pressure, you know, things of that nature to see if there's a, a difference. So, so the first time I did it, I was kind of nervous. I mean, they hook you up. I mean, I don't care. You have nothing to hide. You're going to be nervous once they hook you up. And the second time, I have an, I have an ability. I can calm myself. I can, I can lower my blood pressure. I can lower my, my pulse rate. And I did. And so it, it messed up. And the guy said, You lied on everything. No, I didn't. He said, Well, you look honest. I'm going to okay you. <laughs> I've told my family that my family knows this if I'm ever arrested for a crime, I will never take a polygraph. That's not a sign of guilt. I've done it and failed. And I know there are ways you can fake it. Now, I have a good friend in Huntsville. That's what he does for a living. He gives polygraph tests. He disagrees with me. He's challenged me to come down there and take a polygraph test to prove that it's true. Not doing it. Anywho. (laughs) But you can can fake it. There are ways you can fake it. It, it. Because it's just a machine. But the Holy Spirit, you can't fake him off. You can't fool the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the prosecutor. He will present his case. He will convict. He will convict us on our sin and on judgment. And we are without excuse. Then Jesus says, disciples will have joy and sorrow. Look at verse 16. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Now, they have no idea what he's talking about. He's talking about the resurrection. And some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this thing he's telling us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. And because I go to the Father. Again, they don't have a clue what he's talking about. They have no clue he's about to die on a cross. So they were saying, what is is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus, verse 19, knew what they wished to question him. And he said to them, are you deliberating together about this that I said a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while you will see me. Now, look what he says in verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. What are you talking about? talking about the cross. He's about to die on a cross. They're going to be hurting. The world's going to be rejoicing that Jesus died on the cross. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. Jesus is telling the disciples, you're going to have joy, And sorrow. What's going to happen? I'm going to go to the cross. And that's going to bring sorrow. But I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to turn your sorrow into joy by showing you the glory of the cross. They're going to see in a few hours, Jesus, his body on the cross, beaten, bloodied, Hanging on the cross. One of the most horrible things you can imagine seeing. And Jesus says, that sorrow, I'm going to turn into something called joy. Now, he doesn't say the sorrow would replace be replaced by joy. He says something greater. He says the sorrow will turn into joy. And he uses the analogy of a woman having a baby. In and and that day, when a woman having a baby, you hear these screams... And then you will hear laughter. And Jesus is saying the same way, you're going to be sorrowful about the cross. But going through the pain of the cross, you will understand what I did for you. And you will see the glory of the cross. and it will bring joy. Not only that, he said, I will turn sorrow into joy when you see me risen from the grave. That's what he's saying in John chapter 16, 16, 17, 22. He said, you'll see me again. Again, they don't understand what's going to take place. They don't understand what's about to happen. And Jesus said, but you're going to see me again. You're going to see me on the cross. And I'm going to be dead. And you're going to be sorrowful. And three days later, you're going to see me again. And that sorrow is going to be turned into joy. And the early church believed this and held on to this. Peter, right in 1 Peter chapter 1, 8 says, And though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, full of glory. You see, many times in our suffering, that's when we see Jesus the most. Many times in our trials and tribulation, that's when we see Jesus the most. They're going to see him physically. They're going to see him after he comes out of the grave. They're going to see him turning their sorrow into joy. Our sorrow can be turned into joy once we see Jesus. So that's what Jesus is saying about the disciples. You need to keep looking for Jesus. This Jesus is very sensitive. This suffering risen Savior is going to bring them joy. He's going to turn our joy into uh, suffering into joy by showing us the glory of the cross and by showing us what it means and by showing us Him. Now, Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus promise he will eliminate our despair this side of heaven. But what he does say is something greater. He says, I have overcome your despair. I have overcome your tribulation. I have overcome your problems. That's what he said in the the last verse of this chapter. You know, take heart. I've overcome the world. He says, but I, as disciples, you will have joy and sorrow. And then he says in verse 23, the disciples will have power in their prayers. They will have power in their prayers. Verse 23, in that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Again, he's already talked about this. Remember, he's already said, ask anything in my name and I will do it. But now there's a little difference in what he's saying now. What he's saying is you can go to the Father directly. Because of me, you can go to the Father. He says, if you ask anything in my name, you don't have to go through me. You can go to the Father because I will be with you. This is what he said in John chapter 14. This is what he said in John chapter 15. Now he's saying in John chapter 16. You are to go to the Heavenly Father in my name. And no longer will the Heavenly Father be distant. And no longer will the Heavenly Father be removed. You see, they thought they could never come to God. They thought that it was impossible to get close to God because of his holiness and their sinfulness and their right, but through Jesus, they can come to the Father. Now they can come to the Father in Jesus' name. They have direct access to the Father because Jesus loves them and the Father loves them. And then finally. Jesus said the disciples will have an eternal relationship. Look what he says in verse 28. He said, I come forth from the Father and I've come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. Stop there. What he's saying is, I have never been alone. I have a relationship with the Father. Verse 30. Now we know that you know all things and you have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you come from God. And Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered to each of his home and to leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. See, the disciples said, now Jesus says it, I am never alone. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace, in the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, I have a relationship with the Heavenly Father, eternal relationship, and you can have that same relationship. And you'll never be alone. Because sometimes we feel alone. Sometimes we feel like no one's out there. Sometimes we feel like we we carry our burdens all by ourselves. And Jesus says, that is not true. The Heavenly Father will always be with you. And because of that, Jesus says in verse thirty-three, two words: "Take courage." That phrase, that word—literally one word in the Greek language—is a word that Jesus used every time, but one time. One one time, blind, a blind man was told by the crowd. But every other time, Jesus said, "Take courage." So, in Matthew chapter nine, verse two, he tells the paralytic, "Take courage." Your sins are forgiven. In in Matthew chapter nine, again, he tells a suffering woman who touched the hem of his garment. He says, "Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well." In Matthew chapter fourteen, verse twenty-seven, he he talks to the frightened disciples. They saw him walking on the water. Remember the story, and he said, "Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid." When Paul was arrested, he appeared to Paul in the book of Acts, chapter twenty-three. He says, take courage, for you have solemnly witnessed to my cause in Jerusalem, so you must be a witness at Rome also. And now he's saying, take courage. I give you peace. One preacher said it this way. Jesus encourages us by his pardon, by his power, by his presence, by his purpose. And by his peace. And even though we have tribulation in the world, we're not alone. And the disciples are listening to this and they don't understand it. But in a few hours they will. And in a few days they really will get it. That Jesus is God. God. Son of God. And they can have an eternal relationship with Him just as you can by giving your life to Him because He loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me on that cross. He ascended to the Father. And when you give your life to Him, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. God offers us peace in trials and tribulation. Will you accept it? By admitting that you're a sinner, saying, God, I realize I'm a sinner, and I know I've been convicted by the Holy Spirit of my sin. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross, buried, the third day arose. And I confess. I confess everything. Lord, I give you everything. I'm holding nothing back. I give it everything to you. Will you do that tonight? If you're watching online, if you'd like to give your life to Christ in a personal way, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005 and a minister will give you a call. But if you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Christ, will you do so? Would you stand by your heads? Heavenly Father, 2,000 years ago, Jesus told the disciples... They would face tribulation, and trials, and trouble. And Father, we are still facing tribulation, trials, and trouble. But we have your promise that you give us peace. And you bring us comfort. Even, Father, those days, those moments, we feel all alone. Father, we feel like we have no friends, we have no one to turn to. Father, you're still there. Father, when we feel like we are helpless, you're still there. And Father, maybe someone tonight, either here or watching online, they are hearing this message. And Father, maybe they are struggling with this concept, but Father, I pray your Holy Spirit right now, convict them of their sin, convict them of the coming judgment, and convict them of righteousness found only through Jesus Christ. We pray this, Father, in his most holy name. Amen.